On this edition of the National Talkie League podcast, Dave Ware questions what to call people who are activists about something that they really don't care about. I'm going to clear my throat on this whole Derek Fildebrandt mess. He gets a living allowance from taxpayers to pay for an apartment that he had listed on Airbnb for extra profits. And we also speak our minds about the demonstrators in Charlottesville. If you're interested in strong opinions loosely held, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the National Talkie League. National Talkie League. All right, Dave, it's been a watershed week since the, the, the last edition came out. And it seems to me that in the first eight seconds of this podcast, we always find another thing that you have to research the etymology of. So, <laughs> so maybe next week you can tell us what a watershed anything is. <laughs> totally unintentionally, by the way. Um, yeah, we do use a lot of those, don't we? Yeah, and I'm just starting to realize too. It's like maybe I really don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, my <laughs> friend uh, Albert Howell mentioned on one of my posts because I was talking about the whole concept of the pot calling the kettle black. Yes, and perhaps erroneously, uh, a modern interpretation of that is the concept that it's not basically one of those objects saying, "Hey, I'm different from you," when in fact they're the same. But rather, the concept. So it's not just the the, the pot saying, "Ha ha, you're black." when they're both black. Uh, but rather it's the idea that the pot is actually looking at his own reflection in the kettle. So he's not actually seeing the kettle. He's looking at himself. Um, which is, there's really no safe way to discuss this, um, this axiom any further, given the Don't events of the week. Don't make it about race, Roger. No, Try not to. I'm trying not to. Why does the pot have to be black? That's the problem. <laughs> That's the question that Muhammad Ali asked. In fact, so so when uh, when I brought this up, Albert uh, was was uh, good enough to supply another one that people found very interesting, and it's the concept of uh, we talk about have your cake and eat it too, right? Right. Which I've never can't, really understood, by the way. Right, and the reason that it doesn't make sense is because, as Albert posits, uh, we have it backwards, and that the quote should be, "You can't eat your cake and have it too." I still don't know what it means, though. What is it like? What, what, what? Yes, can't you? Aren't you doing the same thing at the same it time? It means you can use it once, but you can't. You can't both keep it and eat it at the same time. It means you can't have one thing two ways, right? Is that kind right. of what it is? Yeah, and have it both ways. Why don't they just say and, you can't have your cake and go diving too? You can't burn the candle at both ends. I tried that though. You can actually do that. Yes, you can. It just burns faster, you see. Yeah, it provides more light, but for half as long. Yeah. It's really not a bad strategy. No, except if you want to have light for a longer period of time. This is, by the way, I don't know how into the Charlottesville thing we're going to get here. We kind of just alluded to it a little bit. But I I saw the pictures of the, guy, of the guys, the assholes with the torches. Okay. And this is not the first thing I thought to myself was, you know, the whole pitchforks and torches, right? Like the villagers thing. If they had better technology, they surely would have used it. Right? Okay. So if you live in a world where the flashlight exists, you don't need the fucking torches. Get a flashlight. Like they're all marching with these patio torches. Like the, you know, like the garden uh. party torches. That's very interesting. And I just sort of thought to myself, that's not symbolic of anything, you guys. If anything, it might be symbolic of your your antiquated thinking, 
But it's like if you were carrying flashlights, you would have at least thought been able to show the world like, no, we're we're evolved. <laughs> just good point. It, just the, the imagery of it all just stood out to me. I'm like, ah, oh, you guys can't even win in the pictures here. This is terrible. Just got me thinking that if I were alive in the olden times and I was in a town where the mob had gathered with their pitchforks and torches, I think I would be glad that there were torches. Because pitchforks could be very dangerous in the dark. <laughs> there wouldn't have been a lot of street there with no street lights. That's so true. pretty much the only thing stopping, you know, Jerry over there from putting his pitchfork into my shoulder is the light from the torch that I'm holding so he could see where my shoulder is. Now, were they, by the way, um, divided into groups of pitchforks and torches? <laughs> How did that work? Did someone come around and say, if we have a lynch mob, you are a pitchfork? Did they go down the line and go, pitchfork, torch, pitchfork? Guys, remember what you are. I'm not going to do this again. Pitchfork, torch, pitchfork, torch. Uh, I forget. I, I wasn't paying attention. I had my back turned. And Damn it. You're, we're coming after you then. I'm out, of, I'm out of torch oil, by the way. Can I be a pitchfork? I was a pitchfork last week. I didn't enjoy it as much. I'd much rather be a torch. Well, well, Jerry, I'm sorry, but you're the devil. So we're actually coming to your house. <laughs> Solve all our problems at once. Oh man! And then on the other side of it too, by the way, I've heard. I, you know, I don't. I don't have a bloody clue what's going on in the street in Charlottesville. I know there's a whole bunch of people who hate each other and hate people that weren't even there. But um, I, I'm hearing too that Antifa was like showing up with water balloon or balloons filled with piss, and it's like they're <laughs> getting water balloons would have been pretty funny. <laughs> sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like uh, throw confetti at a protest and all of a sudden it's a party, right? But no, but it's like that they went there to incite and, and and to to start a riot, to cause a riot. So I'm just sort of like, look, I know what I hate. I hate hate. Like I know that not, I don't like Nazis, but at the same time, I'm sort of like, don't go – I don't know. Don't show up and make a, a – situ- exacerbate a situation and get people run over by cars when you can just let these Nazis identify themselves for all the world to see. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a nuanced issue for sure. I mean, I got mad at someone for saying, well, well, uh, if you look at uh, Black Life Matters, they do. And I was like, no, let's not talk about that right now, because talking about that right now is excusing what these guys are doing. And these guys are preaching hate straight up. And we shouldn't put up with that. And they should have the right free speech in the states gives them the right to say their piece doesn't mean anybody else has to put up with it doesn't mean anybody else has to like it doesn't mean somebody might crack you one in the jaw after you've said your piece right so you're right you make a good point yeah. uh should other people be going there to start trouble or do you just let them do their thing if you let them do their thing is that sort of tacitly saying yeah okay you guys go ahead and march the streets and you know and spout hate i don't know yeah, look, it's I, tricky. I, you shouldn't be going to incite, though. You shouldn't be, you know, trying to start a big conflagration. If I can use a fourteen dollar word, Ooh, I like that one. By the way, um, it's it's such a hard thing to, you know. I mean, like I, I'm one of the people who believes that free speech includes hate speech, right? So, and it's sort of like if you want to walk down the street and identify yourself as a Nazi, I think you should be allowed to do that. And I think the world should be able to react in a retaliatory fashion that doesn't violate your rights as a, as a citizen of your country. So do I think that uh, it should be open season on you to be assaulted? I really don't. I mean, I think that, that 
you know, uh, despicable as it might be, that neo-Nazi has the same uh, right to security of person as the the you know the good person does. If I could just use a, a catch-all, right? But having said that, I think that if you if your boss sees you on on uh, the news marching with those guys in Charlottesville, then your boss should be able to fire you and say, "I just don't employ neo-Nazis." That's all. Yeah, that's your that's your uh, freedom of speech going on right there. Also, uh, both Google and GoDaddy. Uh, what's the name of the website? Do you know the name of the? No, I don't. One of the big big anti hate or not bad. Sorry, anti hate. The big <laughs> hate websites uh, posted something about the girl that was killed and just basically started you know bad mouthing her. And they oh, were okay. like, "Nope, guess what? We're not hosting your website oh, anymore." Yeah, sure, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, like so it's, you're, you're done. That's the the issue that I have, right? Is that is that people who conflate um, like your 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 rights, your freedom of speech, and all that stuff as being a contract between you and anybody other than the government, right? And that happens a lot in Canada for some reason. It mm-hmm. Happened a lot in Canada, but it's like you know, freedom of speech doesn't mean freedom of consequence. And I don't I don't like to use other people's cliches, but that certainly is uh, applicable here. But it's like, yeah, if you've got a business dealing with. GoDaddy and they are providing you a service and you decide that you're going to hate monger on your website, um, then I think that they should absolutely be able to walk in and go, yeah, we just choose not to do business with you. We're going to void our contract with you and give you all your money back. Bye. That's fine. That's fair ball. Yeah. I think, I think GoDaddy said, you guys got 24 hours to find a new host. Oh, that's generous. I think. Very yeah. Generous. Um, Good PR for them too. Yeah, but it's it, like I have a problem in Canada, though, right? Because what do we have? Like hate speech laws, which actually restrict free speech, and that that does bother me. Yeah. Now I did look those up today. Let me bring it up because I had I didn't ha- have any idea um, what was involved in them um, because I decided to look them up. So uh, if that's okay, if you'll indulge me, yeah, sure. I mean, because we just get into some issues in this country, right? Where we've we've decided that instead of just saying, okay, look. Um, you're free to say what you want to say, but we won't stop people from reacting. Now, when they break a law, we'll be there. You have rights. Um, when they break a law, the law will apply. That's kind of like a good Republican doctrine right there. But um, to then have the government further codify, like now you're allowed to say certain things up to a point, right? Like this has to be a black or white issue. It has to be all or nothing. And when it's not, then we're it's fraught with issues, right? What sensitivities are today um, will will absolutely change, evolve, and or devolve over fifteen, twenty, and, and fifty years. So you can't basically come at this and 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 try to massage the law for the day. You've got to come up with something from the get go that that is is designed to work, uh, you know, f- uh, from this day forward. Okay, so section 319 of the Canadian Criminal Code is called Public Incitement of Hatred. And it says, so this is part one, it says, Everyone who, by communicating statements in any public place, incites hatred against an identifiable group where such an incitement is likely to lead to a breach of the peace is guilty of an indictable offense and is liable to imprisonment of a term not exceeding two years, or an offense punishable on summary conviction. And then the second part says everyone who by communicating statements other than in private conversation willfully promotes hatred against an identifiable group is guilty of exactly the same things. 
uh, and sorry, th- this this won't be endless. I promise you. Uh, <laughs> but the criminal code of Canada won't be endless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to read the rest of them. I'm going to go back and read the first 318 <laughs> as soon as I'm done. Um, and then it says defenses, which is interesting because I haven't read a lot of the criminal code, but it actually tells you yeah. why or how they can be prosecuted. So it says defenses. No person should be convic- convicted of an offense under subsection two, which is the uh, part of communicating statements. If he establishes that the statements communicated were true. So if you can prove that what you said was true, then you can't be uh, prosecuted. Uh, B, if in good faith the person expressed or attempted to establish by an argument an opinion on a religious subject or an opinion based on a belief in a religious text. Seriously, that's a defense. So hang on a second. Does Dave need to read anything more for people to come (laughs) to the same conclusion that I've already established here? No, no, no. It's, listen, it's not that. Look, I don't hate Jews. All right, it, that thing. The Bible told me to hate Jews, <laughs> which is weird because the main character is a Jew himself. It's just so strange. All right, I'm almost done. I promise I'll be done soon. Obviously, uh, by see. the way, that was not what I really think. But go on. Sorry. Uh, If the statements were relevant to any subject of public interest, the discussion of which was for the public benefit, and if it stands on reasonable grounds that he believed them to be true. And then the last part – yeah, you're shaking your head already. (laughs) The last part says, if in good faith he intended to point out for the purpose of removal matters producing or tending to produce feelings of of hatred towards an identifiable group in Canada. So it's a – this is a very tricky law to make an actual – firm judgment on because a lot of it's opinion based. Yeah, how are they not convicting people on a daily basis on this one? <laughs> but it's got this has a lot of problems. First of all, the um going right back to what you said before the defenses, likely to cause violence, likely to insult violence. Like the word likely is in the law. Or if this person believed that this was the case, right? Yeah, but I mean Well, I believe what I was saying was true. That the <laughs> This other race is inferior. I believe that. <laughs> Can cops stop you if you're likely to rob a bank <laughs> and incarcerate you? Um, so I got an issue with that. But no, I just – the whole thing's absurd, right? Like we need to be – we need to, to have a better def, like weapon against hate. And I think we're pretty good. We're getting better. But so I think – Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Roger. No, I but really I, know what I was going to say was that I think what you were just talking about, apart from the fact that it becomes weaponized or that it becomes violent, is that whole thing that that you're not a big fan of, which is the counter protest. These white hate or white you know power guys are going to be marching tomorrow at Olympic Plaza. They're going to be spouting some hatred. So our group's going to go down there and we're going to counter protest. We're going to say, nope, that's not how people here think or feel. So that the people who who agree with us can see that they're not alone, that that Calgarians aren't going to put up with this kind of thing. Now, the problem starts when you get these agitators, these professional protesters, these, you know, it happened in Seattle was a great example of it. These guys who come with body armor and they're ready and they want to start trouble. They got the tear gas and they're going to just mix shit up for no reason. That's the problem. Those guys are helping nobody, right? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I don't think you can have a protest or not a protest, but a 
what am I trying to say? Uh, demonstration, thank you, with the word pride in it, like a white pride demonstration, and not show your face. <laughs> that was like the that that's even more ironic than the torch bearing is like the couple of times that the I don't even remember what they call themselves the white pride guys in this city and they'd wear bandanas on their faces and it's like what exactly are you proud of again <laughs> someone pointed out on twitter too especially for these guys in the states and in charlottesville that uh you know people who are uh, you know supporters of the nazis and the confederates are actually in favor of groups that were handily defeated by other white people <laughs> Wow. They have a lot of hatred for minority groups and for races that didn't beat them. The people who beat them were other white people who were like, enough of this shit. So here's my question about Charlottesville, right? Is like, is this a situation where the president um, could have intervened and had a meaningful impact on the ground? And what that would look like would be President Donald Trump going to Charlottesville to address the Nazi group, this neo-Nazi group. And say, um, this is wrong. What you're doing is wrong. Our country is strong when we're together. Basically, just whatever he tweeted. <laughs> yeah, uh, he he could have for sure. But I think it would be disingenuous because it doesn't seem to be that he feels that way. He's made his opinions about other races and cultures pretty darn clear. So if anything, and I'm not saying he is, but if anything, you're probably siding with these guys. Yeah, it's his base, right? In a way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. Tricky. He's afraid to lose votes. He starts speaking up in favor of, you know, women or minorities or or people of color and all those hardworking people from the, you know, the lowland areas that have a problem with the way things are right now aren't going to vote for him again. So, I mean, he came out today and he made sort of a, like a tacit little, yes, I think that hate is bad and I think that the KKK is bad. And it sounded... <laughs> Like his mom had sent him over to the neighbor's house to apologize for breaking a window. It didn't sound sincere in any way. It didn't sound believable in any way. It's I suspect it was basically, oh, guess what? Your your polls are tanking. You gotta say something. Wow. And they probably, you know, forced him to somehow. I don't know what sort of leverage they have over him, because usually he does whatever he wants. Because earlier in the day, one of the one of the leaders, and I, I'm I can't remember the company right now, but one of the, the business leaders that was on his council. Uh, one of the drug company guys, GlaxoSmith, maybe I want to say. GlaxoSmithKline. I don't know which company it was, but yeah. Anyways, he he decided to quit because he was like, you know what? I'm not going to stay on this committee. The the president's not saying anything about this thing. This is garbage. I'm out. And so the president went on Twitter to talk about, oh, this guy's just ripping everybody off. And it's like, you'll go on Twitter and you'll say that about that guy, but you won't say, hey, the KKK is bad, right? Like. That's what people are upset about. Yeah. The guy's clearly not holding his tongue about any other person he dislikes, but yet he won't tacitly say, you guys are wrong. Yeah, very, very well put. Um, I will use this opportunity to point out that we have an overtime interview this week uh, with Trey Kay, who is the host of a podcast in the United States with a little bit of the, I shouldn't say the NPR machine, um, but it you know, think about the the power of the NPR podcast. Maybe I'm doing a disservice with this explanation, but yeah, pretty big deal. Great podcast called Us and Them. Trey K is going to join us on uh, Overtime this week. <clears throat> Let me clear my throat. Yeah. <laughs> so 
the thing that happened last weekend, it's kind of too bad the way that the, our podcast cycle works sometimes is that we hit, uh, you know, we, we, we click up the podcast, it's ready to go. And then something bombshell happens. And that was the case with Derek Fildebrandt, Airbnb, his, uh, his digs in Edmonton. So not to give too full an explanation of this, but, uh, to bore you with, but what, what effectively happens is for these MLAs that work in Edmonton, but they live outside of Edmonton, they get a housing allowance for the time that they spend in Edmonton, right? What a lot of these guys will do, guys and gals will do is they'll, they'll rent an apartment and then they will use the housing allowance to cover the rent of that apartment. Now, what Derek right. Fildebrandt was doing was, um, he was taking the money to rent the apartment and then subletting it on Airbnb. Okay. Okay. Now, I will give this caveat because I'm not intimately familiar with the particular housing arrangements that he had. It could well be that he purchased the house, was using his housing allowance to pay the mortgage, and and then he was renting it out on Airbnb for the time that he wasn't there. Either way, he's deriving a benefit from the taxpayer for the property, and then he's deriving an additional benefit from the property. So the question is, there's two questions, actually three questions. One, did he break the rules? Um, two, is what he did wrong? And three, does it matter if what he did broke the rules? <laughs> and the answer is, you know, he didn't break the rules, um, but it was entirely wrong. And it shows very, very poor judgment and a disdain for the taxpayers for which he represented for such a long period of time. And Derek Fildebrandt is somebody who um, I've, I've, I admit that I really – uh, had a had a place in my heart for Derek when he was with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, when he would come on the radio and talk about appropriate use of tax dollars in government and uh, the better way to tax citizens. And it is, it is. I, I'm not going to say it's like shocking or appalling because I'm not one of these people who's fainting on my couch about it. I'm just saying that, like, of all of the people. Who, who spent so much time working so hard to establish themselves as a credible character for this very, very uh, plateau that they're trying to ascend to. It just shows not a, not a remarkable lack of character, but a tremendous lack of awareness that he would even do this, conceive of doing this. It's, it's absurd to me. And so now it's like, I just need to know from the constituents in, in Derek's writing, how can you take him seriously? This is bankrupt. Yeah, I mean, right? we, yeah. we've we've talked about him a couple times before, and uh, you know, I've never that favorably. I mean, I, I've, I've said basically that you know he should stop trying to be in charge of things because he didn't strike me as a guy who should be in charge of things. Um, but we'd always we'd never had any reason to believe that he wasn't on the level as far as the money side of things goes. And as you said, with the Canadian uh, Taxpayers Federation, that was his thing. So for him, of all people, to turn around and do this, just kind of, you know, yeah, you, you basically that's it. You're done. I mean, maybe he'll get reelected. I don't know. But he's lost any credibility he has. I mean, he said after all of this came out, oh, well, uh, I was going to donate the money back to the blah, blah, oh, blah, yeah. blah. But the fact is he wasn't doing that. He wasn't planning on doing that, I don't think. If he was, he would have been doing it, right? And yeah. It wasn't well, you know, so, and who cares? That's a meaningless amount of money. It's twenty five hundred dollars, and he's gonna get. Yeah. He's gonna give it to fight the the deficit. It's like, oh, shut up! Buy ice cream for children at a kindergarten. It's like that's what you do with twenty five hundred dollars when you're in government. Like <laughs> my god! Now, if he had, on the other hand, if 
this is how it could have worked properly if he had been renting the place out, taking the money that he was earning for that rental and deducting it from what he was requesting for the next month, therefore subsidizing his own apartment. Then he could turn and say, look what I'm doing. You know, this apartment costs this much. This is how much I claimed last month. I don't have to claim this much because I'm using this and I'm earning money on it or I'm, you know, I'm lessening my own burden to the rest of the province. Then you'd be a hero, yep. right? No, absolutely. Yeah, this guy's saving us money. He's not spending my tax dollars that he could be spending, that he's allowed to spend. Look what he did. That's a smart guy. That's not what he did. You do this one of two ways. Okay. You either you either um, present it in – this is the least effective way to do it. But you present it in um, – whatchamacallit, uh, committee meeting, right? And you say – uh, look, there's a lot of us who rent places here that are vacant during the time that we're not in session when we're back in our constituency weeks. So um, here's what I propose we do. We network these 60-odd apartments or whatever the number is, and we we get somebody to manage them for us on Airbnb. This will, this will create some income, and then it'll just be revenue for general revenues. And then they'll shoot it down for a whole host of reasons. Uh, and then he gets to come out and say, look, I, I had this great idea that was just going to basically help, you know, uh, vacant government properties make income for Alberta taxpayers. But lo, the NDP, they wanted nothing to do with it. That's one, one way that you do that. The other way you do that is that you say to people what you're doing right up front and then you tell the government, I don't want my full housing allowance. I want just my housing allowance minus the money that I've brought in by Airbnb it because I, you see, I care deeply about the taxpayers. Every dollar is important to me. And then when they don't do that, because they won't, you know, not give you the full amount of your housing allowance because you've come up with a novel idea, then you sit there and you say, guys, get efficient, would you please? Here I am saving taxpayers money. It's easy to do. And you refuse to change the way you do things. And then he can make, he can go do the talk radio rounds and he can do one of these really cheap retail politics stunts that lets every Tom, Dick and Euclid know that you are the champion of the taxpayer. You're finding ways to make money for people. But what you don't do is fucking pull the wool over everybody's eyes. And then when you get busted you say, well, I'm going to give the money right back to the taxpayers because the only reason you're doing that is because you got caught. No, mom, I'm taking this cookie into Marion's bedroom. It's not for me, mom. I'm giving it to my little sister. So what the fuck if she's asleep, mom? Go back to bed. <clears throat> wow. Wow. We just well, need – Roger Kincaid. We need better people, man. And it's like it's – like I really liked Derek for a long time. I'd still have a beer with Derek if he'd have a beer with me, but it's just stunning to me that he tried to get away with this one. And um, it says a lot about Brian Jean too. Derek said that you know he told people what he was doing, and apparently the leader of the of the Wild Rose Party thought that that was okay if if he did know what was going on. So it says a lot about Brian Jean too. But I'm telling you, man, he got 87 MLAs up in Edmonton, and I wonder how many of them are not good enough uh, for this province. I bet a lot of them, uh, some of them just signed up online probably. Um, so Roger, you can tell me why this is a terrible idea and that I'm an idiot, but, but what if they had, maybe it's a government building the government already owns, which would be any government building, I guess. Okay. Um, what if they had 
government building that they renovated um, and made into like condo housing or apartments, working apartments. And rather than giving the MLAs a, a bunch of money to go and rent a place, it's like, oh, you're an MLA. Here's your room. And that's your room. And then maybe there's a big meeting room on the main level and a library or something like that. So they could be efficient and do some work while they're there. But rather than just say, go ahead and rent a place anywhere, you have to stay in the government housing. (laughs) (laughs) You have to live in government housing. Listen, only the prime minister gets to live in government housing. Okay. Um, Well, it's the same difference, right? You're going to spend the money somewhere else or we don't have to give you the money. and You can stay in the place we've already paid for yeah, I, I get where you're coming from, and I, I like the spirit of it. I'm just, you know, I, I, if I think about this in practice, like we could flesh it out. So we're going to have an apartment building with 80 apartment units in it, okay, for argument, 60 apartment units for argument's sake, and the entire building is going to be vacant um, at times, and it's going to be full at other times. Um, so in those vacant times, maybe we're going to Airbnb the place. I don't know, but I, I got to think it's like, I think. I'll say this about MLAs. I defend their right to not have to live together. They already have to work together. <laughs> so I just don't know if it works in practice, right? And you're also basically – I guess though, you're, part of your equation though, Dave, is probably we are furnishing you with this apartment. If you don't want it, you can pay for your own damn apartment. Then that – yeah, then I, I, I get you there then. Yeah. That, um, and then I think – If all you want to live off campus – that's up to you. Right. And I think what you've done is you've just consolidated that and made it easier to manage that Airbnb scheme that that I had uh, uh, kind of brought up. Um, and you know what? Shit, let's do it. Let's have a great reality TV show. Like what happens? You know, like just put cameras <laughs> in the hallways, right? And like, you know, see what happens when Rick Strankman and what's her name from the the girl up in the Northwest who I, whose name I can't remember, who's known for taking bad photographs and saying things about gay boys. What was her name? I forget her name. Oh, I can't remember. Uh, and then what if there's a meeting once a week and there's some sort of challenge and whoever wins gets to be the head of government housing for the week? Oh, man, that's perfect. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm surprised by the it's way. It's literally Big Brother. Yeah. So. <laughs> How is it possible, by the way, that the NDP government didn't figure out that like have a government dormitory housing communist <laughs> style like they did on the east side of the wall makes more sense? <laughs> um, so somebody – I tweeted this out too, Dave, and somebody had said – had accused me of deflecting because what I had said – the tweet I put out actually – sorry, wasn't particularly this. But the tweet I put out was, I think I hear a mad rush of NDP MLAs removing their listings from Airbnb. And it's sort of a a backhanded insult on Derek Fildebrandt because in a way I'm saying like he couldn't have been the only one to be doing this. Right. Like maybe he is the smartest guy in the room. Right. It's possible he's the only guy doing it, but But, I um, I would would hold out that the possibility exists that others are also profiting. Yes. So – what I, you know, so I, I basically just made the joke that, hey, there might be a whole bunch of NDP MLAs. And then somebody said I was deflecting. And I thought to myself, how could they possibly be deflecting when I'm calling attention to the very thing that you're saying that I'm deflecting attention away from? Like if I don't tweet it, that's, or if I tweet something completely different, like if I had said, hey, look at the, I think the Flames are going to, you know, be in the playoffs next year, that's actually deflecting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or yes. it's just yeah. it's just shining the light elsewhere but 
So well, and uh, go on. I saw a lot of people, not necessarily on our page, but I saw a lot of people saying, oh, well, isn't that just like the conservatives? And I was like, well, hang on. You know, waste of government money is not a uh, a single party issue here. I seem to remember a lot of people in our current federal government, uh, a couple of members who moved from provincial to federal, took a, taking a big, uh, big old payment that was meant for people who would be unemployed for a transition payment, who immediately moved into a big government cushy job. They had no problem taking that money either. Right. So this is not a conservative versus NDP thing. Yeah, I, I have a hard time with that too, because it, it really doesn't get us closer to any solutions, right? If you want to say, um, like the hashtag I think was UCP lies or UCP always lies. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, don't smear the whole party. First of all, you want to have opposition. You don't want to live in a state that does not have opposition in government. That's not a good thing. Um, not positive at all. So, be thankful that you have opposition. I'm tremendously grateful that there are socialists in our midst who have a seat in the hall of power, who get to offer an opposite opinion of what we, of what I believe should be done. And in the case of Alberta, it's you know it's obviously it's the conservatives who have the opposing position, but I mean, pretty much all of Canada now. But anyway, um, there's that. But weed them out one by one. Absolutely point out the hypocrisy in Derek Filderbrand's actions. Absolutely do that. In fact, do it to whatever extent you're comfortable with the hopes that he not be reelected. Perfectly wonderful um, participation in our political process. But don't say, oh, this is indicative of the entire party because you discredit yourself and you don't actually point out, you don't actually make a merit-based case why people should consider your arguments. I think if you want to take sides, if you want to pick sides on this issue, there's two sides of this issue. There's a taxpayer side and there's the people who are wasting our money side. It's not party versus party. Are you a taxpayer? Are you in favor of people wasting our money? Those are the sides. So pick one. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you're you're ultimately angry with two components of this story, I, I believe anyway, and, and, you know, fill in the blanks if, if I, if I leave some, um, one that, that Derek Filderbrand is ethically on the wrong side of things here. And the second thing is that he's profiting, right? He's pocketing $2,500 on something that you pay for. You're effectively the owner of that, of that resource in, in, in a way, since you're the one paying for it. So, um, I think that those are the, the two places where you should be most angered and, I kind of lost my train of thought on this one, uh, Dave. Where no, but- you're you're bang on. That's the two things that you should be annoyed about. It shouldn't be, you know, whether he's conservative or whether this party's always doing this. The two things you should be very angry about are the fact that someone would have such an ethical lapse, especially someone who is the shadow finance minister. It's such a great sounding title. I'm the shadow minister. <laughs> and then the second thing is, yeah, you guys, we paid for him to have that apartment and then he turned around and tried to make some money on it he's running a scam on us that's not cool now that's it, what you should be annoyed about well sure now but if you find that the money is the problem for you then you, you my god man you got to take a long hard look at what the party you prefer is doing if you are an ndp supporter and you're really mad at eric filderbrand for copping 2500 bucks or whatever it is then you got to treat every dollar the same because you're an egalitarian and a feminist and None of those dollars are any different than the 2500 that Fildebrandt put in his pocket. So make sure that whoever's controlling the purse strings in this province, his name is Joe Cece, nice man, had a sandwich with him one time, um, that you, you scrutinize him as well. 
And then you say, hey, look, I just want to make sure, by the way, that every single dollar that's flowing out of this government isn't landing in a place that that is ethically bankrupt or that doesn't um, that 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 isn't uh, the best way to to serve the taxpayers who provided the check. Yeah, I mean, if anything, this is a wake up call to everyone in the province to say, hey, maybe we need to be a little more transparent with who's spending our money and how it's getting spent. I think if everybody got a little more interested in that, things would be fantastic. Wouldn't how great would that be? An electorate who was like, "Nope, you guys are wasting money. Stop it. Get better. Do it smarter." Yeah, and why, you know? why is the housing allowance as it is? Does it, it, it like you get like a prescribed amount of money for a housing allowance? I think it'd be better if it worked the other way around. If they just said like, you know, find an apartment that is less than eleven hundred dollars a month rent, and the government will cover you. I don't know. Maybe that's more complicated. Well, and I, I'm not clear on whether it's just a – I don't think it's just a disbursement of money that happens. I think you have to file expenses. I could be wrong. You have, to get, you have to get housing. I think. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think it's just like at the beginning of the month they show up and start dropping hundreds in your pocket. I think you have to go and say, okay, this is the place I have. Here's the thing. This is the rent. This is what I'm paying. So uh, you only get as much as you're, you know, as you're actually expensing. What they do, Dave, is they go and they get um, – they have a cash cage and they put it in the <laughs> rotunda at the legislature and it's full of hundreds. And then they blow the money and you have 30 seconds to catch as much as you can. It's the same thing that they put the masturbating bear in on Conan that one Christmas. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> that, by the way, was like the very best Conan episode of all time, I think. National Talkie League. Resist, resist, resist. So uh, that was uh, Roger clearing his throat. Uh, we did have a few comments. Do you want to read through some of the comments uh, that we had on that issue? Or well, we talking to death? I like to think I did uh, pretty well all by myself there, Dave. But uh, yeah, sure. Let's go to the talkies. Yeah, we had some new talkies that showed up. So names that aren't familiar. Not to say that we don't like the ones that are familiar. We love those people as well. But yeah, uh, I think in most, for the most part, people were generally of the same mind as you. Uh, Jason says the public is not only shocked, but this behavior, behavior is beyond typical of all politicians. <laughs> Uh, Jeff said, it's not a good movie. It's not boosting tourism. Those people could have stayed at any Airbnb, but they didn't come here to stay at Derek Fildebrand's apartment. It's obviously he saw as a way to score a few extra few bucks as the average person. Don't try to sugarcoat it. Yeah. So, Jeff, I, I kind of felt um, – I appreciate Jeff, by the way. Uh, that's his first comment on the National Talkie League uh, Facebook page. And uh, I hope uh, Jeff's had a chance to listen to uh, an episode as well, particularly this one since we're talking about it. I think I broke my rule here of, of, of writing sarcasm on Facebook because um, it's not always translated that way. I mean sarcasm is a spoken art, not a, not a written one. Um, and I was certainly not trying to sugarcoat it. I was definitely being sarcastic um, because I feel the exact same way that, that Jeff does. I mean he's – He's doing absolutely no benefit for the province. But if you if you look at the first comment that came in on this thread, Dan Huss said, um, if he was being clear about his intentions, it's really not a bad idea. He's only putting the money back in the coffers because he got caught. And so I, I do say that like in every sort of disaster and, and one of my morbid hobbies is reading about plane crashes and what caused the plane crash and then what they did to make sure that the plane crash never happens again. Like that particular thing never happens again. Derek's done the province a bit of a service here, or at least he could have in that he has pointed out that there is a resource 
available to the government that they could exploit to alleviate the burden on taxpayers should they so choose to do. And so if there were somebody who could put together a management scheme with all this excess capacity and make some money on it, then you know, for the government and remit it to the taxpayers, that's a good that would be a good thing. And businesses look for efficiencies like this all of the time. The metaphor that I just thought of was a prisoner trying to escape through the sewer and getting caught has now informed the prison that they should do a better job of blocking the sewer. <laughs> Uh, Alex also said, considering how many MLAs own a condo in Edmonton, use the allowance to pay the mortgage and will pocket a six-figure profit when they retire and sell it, I don't really see a problem with what Derek did. If anything, we should move back to a system where all MLAs who qualify get the max amount, no strings attached, as an earned benefit, just like how many private sector jobs come with no strings attached car and housing allowances. That's an interesting point of view. He's not entirely wrong on that. Yeah. I mean, I say entirely as though part of it, what he's saying is wrong. I don't know that any of it's wrong. Um, another thought I had was, uh, you know, have you ever had an expense account, Roger? I never have. Okay. Well, what, what percentage of people would you say who have expense accounts have uh, misused those expense accounts as in, in some way or shape. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Because I've I've eaten many lunches that are purchased on expense accounts that do not benefit the company in any way, shape, or form for yeah. whom I'm eating on, whose dime I'm eating on. Yeah, I'm not saying that he gets a free pass. I'm saying pretty much everybody who has an expense account has taken someone out for lunch. That had nothing to do. The most famous thing in the world to do is at the end of that lunch go, oh, okay, business. <laughs> we talked about business. Ha, ha, ha. I like that. Oh, oh, are you, you're going to get this one? Oh, you know, you're good. You sure? Okay. <laughs> I don't even do that anymore, by the way, Dave. I usually just go, uh, who's buying me or the company? <laughs> no, a company will get this. All right, cool. So Daniel also asked us to talk about ways to, uh, to start cutting government waste. And I think we've already done that a little bit with my hotel for politicians <laughs> idea. <laughs> Now you have to name your hotel for politicians. Should shoot some scenes from this dramatic uh, reality show. It's called Hotel for Politicians. <laughs> we can't figure out why no one wants to book our rooms. It's crazy. <laughs> what else you got? What other ways can we save some money, Raj? Uh, well, okay. off the top of your head. So uh, just because it, it feels like it's obligatory for me to play this track for my broken record. But one of the big reasons why you refresh the tax code is so that you can get rid of the bureaucracy that has to handle it. Like Canadians spend billions of dollars every year filing taxes, right? And so it's, you know, it's essentially like, what if we didn't have to spend billions of dollars every year, you know, pay the government salaries of these employees who are doing these really complex tax returns? What if instead it was just way simpler and you could cut out half of those hours? That would be a huge cost savings, right? So that's one of the primary motivators that I have behind that. I'll tell you honestly too, man, we've got 87 politicians up in Edmonton. I think we need about 45. Four forty-five. Those are both great ideas, but not funny enough. <laughs> hey, look, I'm a little hot under this. I'm a little hot under the collar a, on this one, man. That's all. What if there's a fifty-fifty draw of some kind that happened in the legislature? What if everybody in the province was allowed to chip in a little bit for their MLA, and then whoever won, they got to bring that money back to their riding. See, it's not bad. I think that the uh, cafeteria at the legislature is a little bit de uh, too decadent. 
uh, for my tastes. You know, I think that not for my taste. It's just fine for my taste, but too decadent for people who work for me. And that's what politicians do, Dave. So what I would suggest is that maybe we could have like um, you have basically a long lineup for uh, the gruel that everybody must eat. Except there's one perfectly like grilled steak with a beautiful uh, baked potato and the nice, you know, all the fixins and stuff like that and some a lovely broccoli au gratin uh, right at the end there. Yeah. And it's like you get to see that and then you have to go into um, into the ledge and you do the question period and whoever has the best zinger as voted on by a select jury of beleaguered talkies gets that steak dinner. Love it. Yeah. Love it. And uh, the other 86 have to eat the gruel. Unless they come in under budget. If they could somehow save us money, then they can talk about having maybe a burger. I don't know. No, no. Hang on. The gruel has to be spoon-fed to you by an individual of a social faction that you detest. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So like the NDP, it would be like um, Murray Edwards types. Feeding you the gruel with a spoon. <laughs> One percenters just feeding you the gruel with a spoon. And now the premier of Alberta will make a speech brought to you by Exxon. <laughs> exactly. Hey, we're not, National we're not using our advertising potential. What's that? We're not using that advertising potential. Yeah, that's to get all that free airtime. I'm sorry, I hit the Johannes a bit earlier. There, you're right. Like they're they're on TV constantly in a commercial free broadcast, and they're not doing anything to try to monetize that. They could turn that CPAC into like, I mean, my God, man, do you remember a time when hockey games had white boards? Yeah, yeah, they got hip to that, didn't they? There's a lot of people watching that hockey. Get those Tim Hortons, those Canadian Tire ads on the board. I don't know why a holograph of like, um, you know, uh, like Parts Plus or Napa Auto Parts isn't projected onto the chest of the premier as she's, you know, the crest area of her jersey as she rises to speak to the to the house. Why, you know, take that a step further. Why are we bothering with suits and garbage like that for politicians? Right? We're going to treat them like sports teams. We're going to back them. We're going to get fanatic about which side we choose. Screw it. Jerseys. Let's do it. Uh, I prefer shirts and skins. (laughs) But if it has to be jerseys, Dave, I understand. I also don't know why, by the way. I mean, there's a lot of synergies with the Wild Rose Party, which I believe should be sponsored by Buffalo Wild Wings, so that you could have the Buffalo Wild Wings Wild Rose Party. There's a Wild Rose Brewery here in Calgary. Yeah, that that was just a little too on the nose for me. (laughs) (laughs) Who would the NDP be sponsored by? Mm, Let's see. Is there like a – who makes like double-ended dildos? National Talkie League, a hero will fall. All right, Dave. What are you watching on TV this week, buddy? What am I watching? That's a great question. This is uh, our new segment, which is called What Am I Watching? Uh, so this week, uh, I watched a couple things. Uh, watched some James Bond movies. Watched the uh, the Daniel Craig oeuvre once again. Sure uh, the witch? Yeah. Yes, the oeuvre. 
so yeah, so I watched all four of those movies. I started with Spectre and worked my way. I was going to say worked my way backwards. I got most of the way through Spectre and then went, oh, I should go back and watch Casino Royale. And then I watched them all the way through again. Right. And uh, what I learned was the, the two following things. Number one, Casino Royale is a hell of a movie. Yeah, it's good. Just so well put together. So well crafted. Makes you keep watching. That opening scene with the free running and the parkour. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, such a good movie. Uh, uh, Quantum of Solace, much better movie than I remember it being. Uh, I've seen it a few times now. There's things to really like about that movie. It's, again, really well made, really well shot. Uh, someone hipped me to the idea that uh, there's four action segments in the movie, and they're each based on one of the elements. I hadn't thought about that before, and that's really interesting. Four action got- Yeah, hang on a second here. Can I try? I, yeah. I like it when uh, when – I get to guess because <laughs> a lot of you bring up a lot of really cool stuff that that's easy for me to gamify. <laughs> so four action sequences. So air. So the first uh, first segment is uh, Daniel Craig uh, being chased uh, by the couple of the uh, the quantum guys because he has uh, one of their guys in his trunk, and okay. so he starts on the road. He chases. Uh, they chase him down into a quarry. Right. And then they chase him back out of that quarry and eventually the car chase ends when he destroys the other vehicle. Okay. There's a boat chase in there too, isn't there? There is a boat chase that happens a little later in the film. Is that at the on the River Thames or is that in cigarette boats? I can't remember. No, that's uh, out in – I believe it's Haiti I want to say. Okay. The, uh, I can't remember. It's, a, it's somewhere in the Caribbean for sure. The uh, The crashing plane sequence is clearly the air one crashing the plane sequence not just the crashing but the, the plane sequence the dog fight yeah, yeah is the third and then uh the, obviously the the climax when the they shoot up the hotel and it's ablaze right so you've got the earth car chase you've got the water boat you've got the airplane and you've got the uh hotel fire love it i agree with you i really like that movie and my my brother who is like my go-to um uh you know james bond um connoisseur um, he hated it. He said it was widely re- regarded as one of the worst of the Bond movies. It's certainly regarded as the worst of the Daniel Craig films. You will get an argument from me if you try to tell me it's one of the worst Bond films. Because there's <laughs> a lot of Bond films I can go through before I get to that one. <laughs> Most of them. The worst, probably. worst, absolute worst Bond film, in my opinion, is uh, Die Another Day. Uh, which is yep. the last of the uh, of the uh, Pierce Brosnan films. Why? Uh, well, it started brilliantly. Started with a fantastic opening. Bond's in North Korea. Goes in, tries to take one of the guys out, fails in his mission, gets caught. Never happens, right? Gets well. He, sorry, he does get caught a lot, but he gets. He can't get away this time. He's imprisoned, and they do a spy trade with another spy, right? And then now all of a sudden, uh, MI6 is a little concerned that maybe he gave up some secrets. And so they have to interrogate him a little bit. Brilliant. Should have just kept with that for the rest of the movie. But no, no. What happens then, Roger, is we get a movie where the plot involves uh, one of the uh, leaders of the North Korean army changing himself into a Caucasian so that no one will know who he is. So that he can run his building a giant laser plan. Uh, and there's also a guy with diamonds in his face. Yeah. <laughs> there's so much stupid stuff in that movie. Um, a couple of just a couple of the pet peeves that I had with it. I hate it when you 
they they choose to do something in a film that there's no reason to do it other than something stupid. And in the in the Bond movie, he goes to the guy who changed himself into a Caucasian. He goes to like some island, some amazing island to do it, right? Yeah. Once again, I would think it was in the Caribbean yeah. somewhere. Okay. It could have been Jamaican for all I know. I think it was Jamaican. I can't remember the country he goes to, but he goes to get this procedure done. And the only reason it has to be a Caribbean locale is so that you can see Halle Berry come out of the uh, out of the water in a bathing suit. In a, in a move reminiscent of uh, Dr. No, the very first right. James Bond. The, uh, what was her name again? Uh, Ursula Andress. Right. Yeah. Honey, uh, Honey Rider. What was her name? In that? Honey, Honey Rider. Rider correct. Yeah. So anyway, so the only reason that they do that is like, could it be Switzerland? No. It's the same reason they, sh- they shoot Survivor in tropical islands. It's so that you got a bunch of chicks walking around almost naked. Uh, it was Havana was where it was. And uh, they wanted at that point, they had a feeling that they were going to try to spin off that character into her own movies. Jinx. Yeah. So that's we, right. we almost had some Halle Berry Bond films. Which, hey, let's get to that in a second. I bet you that um, Catwoman killed that. Oh, it's very possible. Yeah. 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 That's the worst yeah. movie ever made. I think Catwoman. It was pretty terrible. Yeah. All right. So while we're on the subject, uh, something I did on my Facebook earlier this week, uh, this could be a bit of controversial statement. So hang on to your britches, Roger. Um, so I asked people and I made this an open-ended question and I asked them, I said, what's, what is the term we use for people who, uh, who engage themselves in something that they have no actual interest in or no lasting interest in no no money in the game demand change and then move on once that change has been made and i asked it in a way that didn't frame it in any kind of issue or anything like that and i think actually i came up with the best answer (laughs) which was like drive-by activism right yeah you come in you throw your weight around a little bit and then you f off to the next subject and the actual subject in my head that I had when I thought of this and when I posted this was this concept where uh, Daniel Craig had just come out and said that uh, he's going to do two more movies. Somehow they talked him into it. They gave him a reason <laughs> to do two more films. They gave him 149 more million more reasons to do another film. Right. Okay. So, uh, so if this delayed the inevitable conversation we'll have, which is who's going to be the next bond. And I can tell you already, there's going to be a faction out there that's going to say the next Bond should be a woman. Yes. Now, I don't dislike women. I like women very much. (laughs) You married one. I married one. I prefer them as my sexual partners. Uh, (laughs) 100% of the time. I'm very anti-male that way. I enjoy women greatly. I think women do great things, as many great things as men do. I have no issues with women. However... In this particular very sensitive subject to me, the fact that James Bond is a love of mine, that I love <laughs> this character, that I love the films. I love the minutia surrounding this character. And I have a strong suspicion, and it's not 100% of the people, but the vast majority of the people that are going to come out and are going to say, Bond should be a woman. There's no reason Bond shouldn't be a woman. They're not saying that because they have a deep abiding love for James Bond and the world of James Bond. They're saying that because they have an ax to grind. And what's going to happen is they're going to grind that ax. And if they're successful, James Bond will be a woman. And then 
they're going to piss off and they're going to move on to the next thing that they think should be changed. They don't, they don't give a crap what happens to James Bond after that. And that's the part that bugs me. And that's why I don't think that Bond should be a woman is because there's no good reason for it. If you want to have a woman spy, an MI6 woman spy, and you want to have James Bond in that same world and make a, a world out of that, I am 100% behind that. That's great. 006, cast whoever you like. I'm absolutely on board. I'll go and see the movie 100% of the time. Don't see the reason why 007 should have to be a woman. So Just because someone's got an axe to grind. I'm just uh, the only reason I popped in here, by the way, is just because um, I know that you're doing the thing right now where you, uh, you know, you're at the water table grabbing a water and throwing it over your head, and then you're just going to hit your stride again in half a second here <laughs> and pull away from the group. But I've always thought it's hilarious. In the part of this conversation, it, to me, that stands out the most is like this: there's no symbolic equality to be made here. I mean, when they cast Judy Dench as M. I'm pretty sure that they they did a huge thing for female empowerment in the Bond franchise by making his boss a woman, and one who wouldn't take any shit from him for that uh, for that matter. So I just uh, the thing that confuses me more is like I just want to stop the conversation with those drive by activists, if I can use your term, because I like it, and just say what what is the outcome that you're hoping to win here? Like, what are you trying to achieve? Cause the outcome is not, is not James Bond is a, uh, cast a, a female actress is cast as James Bond. That's not the outcome. That's like the, that's a thing that leads to an outcome. So I just want to know like, what's the outcome. And is it like girls believe they can be spies? Well, fuck if they can't, if they don't think that now, then that's not going to help. And there have been movies with spies that are women. Your point about Judy Dench is a fantastic one. She was a great M. Really enjoyed her performances in those movies. Uh, I even had a bit softer spot in my heart watching Skyfall the, for this time. The, I was going to say second time, but we all know that's not true. It's probably about the ninth time. Right. Uh, it's it's not my favorite of the Craig films. I think it's got a lot of issues yes. with the way the story was crafted. But she's not the soft spot in that movie. I remember hearing a lot of complaints. Oh, she did the wrong thing. She did this. Oh, she shouldn't have shined the flashlight. Then they wouldn't have found her at the end. It's like she was shot. She was dying. Give the lady a break. Anyways, strong performance. hundred percent agree with what you just said. Uh, the character of money penny has been sort of recast and revitalized as more of a spy, more of an agent. Although apparently in the last movie, she's decided to go back and uh, be behind the desk. Cause it's not her cup of tea mm -hmm. as it were. Uh, but you know, again, a great character, uh, proving that there are women in the James Bond film world that are every bit as capable. We could go back through the Bond ladies and find quite a few who were more than capable of handling things on their own. Yeah. I, you know, I, I do think though, like they, they've done really well with the James Bond franchise in, in no longer seeing the females that that they're going to portray as like okay you're just there to titillate james and the audience and like you're you know you're going to get a pat on the bum and, and he's going to say move along dink men talk men like you know so and that's another thing too that's going to be sort of weird for for people like it's one thing that bond kind of evolves and refines himself and he no longer like just strikes women for lack of a better term <laughs> right um Unless his life, unless they're trying to kill him, I think. I don't know. Anyway, um, 
but I mean, in the canon, like, don't we look at James Bond as being like every Bond movie is one that's part of 24 others or 23 others? Bond has the worst continuity of any movie franchise. It's almost impossible at this point to figure out what the order should be. Uh, specifically because of the Craig films right. where they kind of started over. But your point stands. Go ahead. Well, I don't know if it does stand actually. I mean, because I think you could toss it out the window on on that point is that like Casino Royale kind of takes it back to before Dr. No. And so if you want to do the continuity thing, then you've got this guy who's relatively suave and respectful of women. And then just one movie later, he's like smacking them on the ass and telling them where to go and how to get there. <laughs> so it, it it is a bit peculiar in that respect, but no, I just, you know, I, I, I do go back to the point I made earlier though, which is like, I just want to know what they're trying to win. And, you know, anytime I see this sort of this drive by activism, it's like, hang on, like, what do you want to have happen here? Because this might not be the best place to sow your seeds. Like, you know, there's probably a better uh, battleground for what you're trying to achieve. Making, casting James Bond as a woman will not unleash a typhoon of possibilities. It'll just make a whole bunch of people go, well, you whined loud enough. <laughs> go write that movie. Find that movie. Find a good female writer who wants to write a good female spy story and write that story. You don't have to take this one. And I'm not going to be that guy who says, oh, they're changing everything. They're taking everything. But Bond is also one of the last bastions of true sort of 60s masculinity. When you think manly – Bond is right up there. He's in that category, right? He's a man's man. He's unashamed. He's unafraid. He doesn't apologize for it. He's what he is. And I think if you're going to come along and say, oh, we need to change the way we treat everyone in this world and blah, 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 then you also have to make a case that some unbridled masculinity still has a place in this world. So maybe that's Bond. I want to know, like, when you make that, that, point though are you sort of saying like that that he is a a genre of an art form or 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 a microcosm of an art form and there's nothing wrong with that i mean um an analogy would be like picasso is an abstract painter um and that's what he does and that's what his artworks are and there's and you shouldn't say change your painting style to be more impressionist uh, because now is a a time when impressionist works are, are more vogue that's a great point. Absolutely. I mean, again, I'm not going to get off on a rant. I'm not going to become one of these men's activist guys, but I, you know, you see it all the time. Uh, oh, boys need to be different when they're playing on the playground. They can't be so rough. They can't be taught to, you know, play these kind of games and pushing and shoving and this kind of thing. And it's a lot of sort of inherently or traditionally male traits that we seem to want to kind of beat out of our kids. Not literally because you can't do that. Um, <laughs> But we seem to want to get rid of, you know, anything aggressive is seen as, oh, no, that's bad, you know. But what if what if that's part of masculinity? If we're, you know, if we're if we're trying to say that, you know, femininity is is equal and great, well, then it should be equal. It shouldn't be overwhelming, right? Now I'm starting to get into a territory where I'm a little uncomfortable and I think <laughs> I'm, I'm espousing things I don't actually believe. But if a kid wants to be rough and tumble – he should be allowed to do that and not be accused of being too masculine about it. If a kid wants to watch a James Bond movie, James Bond should be allowed to be masculine and not be ashamed of it. Yeah, I think you're getting into the territory of of, of uh, certain behaviors or or interests or even objects are like associated as masculine or feminine uh, when it needn't be so, right? Like when you said mm-hmm. that thing, like if someone wants to be rough and tumble, 
um, you use the pronoun he, but I very safely assume that the pronoun she would have also been just as applicable in that situation as far as you're concerned. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm certainly not saying that, oh, you know, you're don't let, you know, but I guess it's that whole let boys be boys thing, right? If girls can be anything, then boys still have to be allowed to be able to be boys too. I don't know what yeah. I'm saying. No, I I'm think just, that let kids be kids is the thing. And I think that for, yeah. for, I think that the, the issue, the point you're pointing out to me right now, the issue that I think you're making for me right now is that we grownups who think about this shit define it. And then we put kids in boy roles and girl roles. And it's like, if the boy wants to play with my little pony and the girl wants to uh, play hockey, that was really discouraged for a long time. And now we just, we just have girls playing hockey with boys and nobody really thinks about it. Right. Yeah. Like six year old girls and boys play hockey on the same teams together. And it's, and like, here's where I, I won't even bother with that. It's total aside, but <laughs> uh, it's fucked up that archery is a men, is a men's and a woman's sport in the Olympics. There is no advantage that you have uh, by gender in that sport and they should completely play together, but they don't because a woman, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, a woman won the Olympics one time and then they were like, Oh, we can't have that. So, <laughs> so uh, but anyway, I go back to my point. No, it's, it, it which is that like, you know, we have this dialogue about, oh, uh, James Bond should be a woman. And it's like, no, I'm sorry. We have failed in not telling our daughters and our girlfriends and our wives that this is not our exclusive domain, James Bond, that everybody should be able to like James Bond. Does that make some sense? It's like Star Yeah, I Wars think so. Thing. Yeah. Or, or alternately, uh, great. If you want a, a strong female spy, then go and write that, right? Yeah. Ian Fleming would be the last person in the world to be in favor of this, by the way. He was notoriously like, uh, I don't know if you've read any of the books, but uh, let's just say uh, people with alternative lifestyles do not fare well <laughs> at all. Well, you know, I'm thinking about Star Wars too, which is like, oh, Star Wars is for boys and Cinderella is for girls, right? And then it's like, now hang on a second here because here we are, 40-year-old guys and – um you know, if you have two sons, if you had a daughter, your daughter would probably be pretty into Star Wars along with you, whatever your interests are. But it's like we go to Comic-Con and we like we, – we love to see the girl in the R2-D2 bathing suit. It's like, like <laughs> we've, we know what we like. Let's not pretend that, that, that we didn't screw up by trying to program kids way back in the day and still doing it today. Well, and I get into this argument too with uh, with people about the the Lego stuff. Okay, so a few years back, you're probably familiar yeah. by this point. A few years back, uh, Lego was having some issues with being, you know, sort of typecast as being a boy's toy, right? Yep. Because <laughs> of all the penises, <laughs> the Lego, <laughs> I guess. Um, <laughs> so they released a new line, and they tried this in the past a few times. They'd released lines that were more sort of based towards girls. But I think this is my own opinion. Now, one thing they did differently with this time is they released a line called friends. And one thing the friends line really focused on was the interior of a set. So for instance, if they had a pet shop, it would be the interior of the pet shop that the attention and the time was spent on. Okay. Not the exterior of the building. Right. Uh, if there was a, uh, you know, crook chase set with a jail or something, it's mostly about the outside of that set. Okay. Okay. So the point I'm driving towards here is that what they Lego discovered was that boys tend to like the idea of get a car, 
go move. And again, I'm being sexist already, but you know, get in car and go and move to the next place or play on the outside of this thing. Whereas a lot of the girls through, I guess, through the concept of the dollhouse, were more interested in the interior, put someone inside of this place and play in here. And so they did a lot of that with the friend set and they sold a shit ton of them. Right. They are still selling a shit ton of them. Lego is one of the most popular uh, money-making brands on the entire planet right now. Part of that is because they figured out how to get the other half of the world in their stores. Yeah, but still to this day, there are people that say, oh, why is it girl Lego? Why isn't it just Lego for everybody? To which I generally reply, oh, it's because of all those penises in the other <laughs> sets. Right? That's why the Lord of the Rings sets are not girl sets. Or that's why the Spider-Man set is not a girl set. I'm not sure exactly what their point is. Cause if they're telling me that the Spider-Man set isn't for girls, aren't they the ones that are coming up with that decision? Yeah, that's just it. Right? Like buy the Spider-Man inherently set. masculine or feminine about Lego. I guess you could make an argument that a lot of the friend sets are, you know, pink and pastel and those, the, the color scheme is very much that there's also an elves line now, which is a little along that same idea. The other difference is they've got minifigs. The minifigs are much larger and they're made like dolls so that you can play with them in that fashion. But we still get this argument that, Oh, it's a girl's toy. It's a boy's toy. And I don't know. Uh, I don't know. People just <laughs> like to bitch. I think, well, yeah, that's just it. Can't. Well, they need to be, they need to be activists about something, but, no, if you want your if you want a particular Lego set that you perceive to be uh, for boys to be for girls, um, give it to a girl. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> much what it takes. So I, I go to uh, Lego competitions, and not comp competitions is the wrong word. Lego conventions, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody displays their stuff. We all check it out. There is a bit of competition because they give a little trophy to the best whatever in that category. Um, I can't remember. We've talked about this before, but there's also trophies. The trophies are made by people out of Lego. Yep. So there's also a best trophy trophy. Mm -hmm. The person who builds the best trophy, which I think is fantastic. Um, my point in all this is there's a, there's a type of Lego called Bionicle. Are you familiar with Bionicle? Bionicle? I haven't even heard of it. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's more, so. it's almost like technic pieces. The pieces are very different. They use it to make people, you probably look it up. You'll be like, oh yeah, that stuff. Right. Yeah. I'm going to look at it. Now. So, so there's, there's Technic and there's uh, Bionicle. The best Bionicle builder in the world, by far, in my opinion, uh, is this, this woman from Alaska. Her name's Brienne. She's amazing. She built some insane stuff out of Bionicle. Go tell her it's not for girls, right? See what she <laughs> says. You know, some of the best builders, uh, Alice Finch built a uh, the Harry Potter Hogwarts castle. She also built Rivendell. So if you want, while oh, you're wow. sitting there on your, on your computer there, Roger, type in Lego Rivendell Finch and see what comes up. And what you're going to see is one of those amazing, well-crafted, sculpted things that I have ever seen made out of Lego. Um, but again, you know, the Lord of the Rings isn't for girls, apparently. So <laughs> I don't know. This, so this isn't a set that she built. Like she can see. No. It, yeah. No, she built this thing and it's huge. Like it takes up an entire table and a half kind of thing and meticulous. Everything super well-crafted, well-built. Uh, my connection's really slow for some odd reason. All right. Well, fair enough. Out, we'll put it I'll, in yeah, the, I'll put the show, show notes. notes. Yeah. Um, People can 
take a look at. Anyways, my 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 rant is well out by now. Well, I want to circle back though to to uh, oh wow that Lego Rivendell is like super impressive. There's a YouTube <laughs> yeah. video about it. We can post. Um, no, I want to circle back though to female spies, right? Because um, when this has come up in the past on the on the podcast. We haven't really taken an inventory for those who are interested in like, look, like don't, you don't need to co-op something. Um, just go and watch one of the many amazing films that, that centers around a female spy. And, um, and Parallel, uh, Parallel is, uh, La Femme Nikita from 1990. I remember that show being on, um, Showcase a lot when I was in uh, junior high and high school and I watched a lot of late night Showcase. <laughs> uh, television and uh, really enjoyed that. But I, I found a pretty decent list and I wanted to kind of run them down. Um, Bridget Fonda starred in the remake of that one. And she was great. That scene yeah. with the gun in the bathtub, I thought was amazing. Yeah. Uh, Naomi Watts was in Fair Game. Um, and Spy in this context, by the way, is uh, often um, a CIA operative, not, uh, not like, uh, you know, not quite the same uh, category as that the Bond movies would be in necessarily. Um, hmm. What else you got? As I roll down here, yeah, Bridget Fond is on this list. Jennifer Garner in Alias. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, great. There was a great, great, great show and super fun to watch, and she was fantastic in that. Um, there is a movie called um, uh, Well, The Imitation Game, Kira Knightley's in that. Kate Blanchett in uh, Charlotte Gray. Um, there was a movie called Hannah. Did you ever see that movie? It was about like, I've a, heard of it. I haven't seen it. I heard it's good. Yeah. It's, it's trippy. It's about like a little Swedish girl who kind of grows up in the woods, but she's like Jason Bourne trained and <laughs> <laughs> is amazing. And then there's another movie called Columbiana, which is like, I think has to be an absolute must watch for anybody who likes the, the, uh, secret agent or the spy genre. Um, it's a bit different in that, you know, she's just a badass. Uh, she's not like, um, you know, working for any government or trying to, you know, solve, uh, complete any mission. She's more out for her own survival, but still a seriously badass movie. And of course, Angelina Jolie in Salt. Uh, slightly, slight change of course, but, uh, so another, uh, Netflix property that's coming out shortly is The Defenders. Are you a fan of the Marvel, uh, universe on TV on Netflix? Did you watch, uh, Daredevil? Uh, negative. Negative. Did you watch Iron Fist? No, no, sir. Did you watch Power Man, uh, Luke Cage? If, if I say yes, you'll be able to, I'm breaking a rule here, aren't I? If I just <laughs> say yes, then you'll be able to move on with the story. And what about Jessica Jones? Uh, yeah, loved it. Great. That well, was a good one. I watched rest, all, all eight seasons. The rest of them, I didn't care. Yeah. Wait, you're lying about that. It wasn't yes, eight I know. It's caught me. You should watch Jessica Jones. It was quite good. Okay. Uh, anyways, those, so those four characters are now together and in, in, they're in a show called The Defenders. And uh, what struck me when I looked at the lineup, uh, those four characters. So uh, you, you know your comic books a little bit, Raj. Yeah. Okay. So you don't know Jessica Jones that well, but I'll tell you that Jessica Jones is a detective uh, just sort of like a film noir kind of detective. Uh, she's not very good with her personal life. She drinks a lot, which is exactly like a film uh, noir detective. Uh, but she's incredibly strong and she's, uh, she's powerful. Okay. All right. Uh, you're familiar with the character of Luke Cage, Power yes, Man? Yes. I, I watched an episode is, of that. Yeah. What is his, uh, what is his power? What's his power? He's, yeah. he, he's in, invincible, isn't he? He's like, he's, a, he's incredibly strong. Yeah. He's let's massively just strong. Say. Yeah. 
And um, what do you know about uh, uh, Iron Fist as a character? I would suggest tremendous strength. <laughs> and you'd be right. <laughs> right. Okay. And Daredevil, he's, he could do some acrobatic things, but also he's – He's quite uh, – he's his strength is uh, pro- prolific. They have four characters who have exactly the same skill sets. <laughs> So basically the way they're going to beat up a villain is just by beating up villains as far as I could tell. Right. I don't really understand the point of this. Uh, that's what, And that's my – That's what made the Watchmen fun to watch was like they all had different skills that they brought to the table. But really none of them were that like they, – they, they, none of them alone could really do great things except for maybe Professor Manhattan or whatever his name was. And it's like – Doctor. Doctor Manhattan, sorry. He didn't, he didn't spend six years in hero <laughs> school so you could call him Mr. or Professor Manhattan. <laughs> so he – you know, it's just that – and they were kind of an uncooperative mess. Maybe this, this Defenders movie will be about – like maybe they beat each other up. Maybe they just get frustrated <laughs> with each other all the time. Oh, I bet you there'll be some banter and quips because that happens a lot these days. Yeah, indeed it does. Um, so not to prolong the television talk infinitely, but uh, we also asked the talkies. Uh, so two questions. I said your favorite show that ended way too soon and your favorite TV show that should have ended soon. Some people got confused at the second half of the question. It's not just any show that should have ended sooner, but it was a show that you really liked. So, Roger, I pose you this question. Okay. What was one of your favorite shows that just ended too soon? Oh, my God, if they only made more episodes. Oh, man. Um, I think the last time I felt that way about a show was Mad Men. And I don't think it ended too soon, but I thought that they could have still done tremendous work with um with the great writers that they had and the amazing characters that they had and the fact that um the storyline uh just seemed to evolve a couple of times in the seven seasons that it was on so i would i would i can't say that it ended too soon because i like how they chose to end it but i would have watched like at least four more seasons of that and loved it is that a fair enough answer fantastic show love it my girl sammy one of the writers place in my heart okay yeah absolutely great 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 answer okay uh, and your favorite show that should have it. it doesn't have to be your absolute favorite but you know a show that holds a special place in your heart but even you know that they should have just killed it after that one season yeah i try to think of there's a couple of shows that i watched the last like season of and just thought okay like they're really really out of juice on this one but walking dead to me is the show that uh, they shouldn't have continued past the the second episode of the first season. <laughs> um, <laughs> caveat, unless they intended to kill Rick Grimes <laughs> in the third episode of the first season. That show is just awful. It's unwatchable. I think uh, also in shows that have gone on too long – Game of Thrones. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Sorry, I had a little cough going on. How dare you? <laughs> you, you? You said you did watch that. You don't anymore, right? I don't know. I stopped watching it okay. last year. I love that Is that show. enough? I, I found that I was watching an hour of television for about five minutes of uh, – with a show with 200 characters, three of which who I actually gave a crap about, uh, who were on screen for all of five minutes an episode. And most of my time was spent watching people I didn't give a crap about right. doing things I didn't give a crap about. Oh, fair enough. I won't try and talk you into it. Um, 
There's some really interesting answers though on this on the on this thread on our Facebook page. So let me let me run a few yeah. down, Dave, and then we'll just and, and you can uh, inject your commentary like the hot sauce in the turkey breast. Um, all right, here Christian, who likes to comment on quite a few things, says that Friends is his uh, favorite show that ended way too soon, and that Big Brother <laughs> is his favorite show that should have ended much sooner, and unfortunately, it's still <laughs> running. What's your take on the sitcom and the reality show that he mentions? Yeah, uh, I disagree about Friends. I also thought Friends was a really strong show, but it was pretty clear by the time they were getting towards the end of the run that they had they had used up everything in their magazine, to be correct. <laughs> um uh, yeah, you know, when you start hooking up different friends with different friends, just because you've already done the other combinations, things may have run its course, but a good show. Um, Big Brother. Yeah, I stopped watching Big Brother quite a long time ago. It's still on. I guess it's still turning somebody on. Although I also watch Survivor and that's been on forever, too. And I bet you there's a lot of people in that boat, too, that said, oh, yeah, I used to watch Survivor, but I don't watch it anymore. Yeah, Survivor didn't come up in the... Uh the um, answers here. Um, one other reality show that came up was The Apprentice, and uh, I didn't. I didn't even know if that's still on. But yeah, I think that one season of The Apprentice was okay, and then the rest of it was just like, all right, we're just humiliating people. Well, and when they have to start doing celebrity versions of the yeah. show, you know that things are maybe up a little bit, right? Yeah. Got to talk people into watching it again. Okay. So Jordan said that The Newsroom was his favorite show that ended way too soon, and uh, the, his favorite show that should have ended sooner was Lost. Yeah. Okay. This is tough. So I liked The Newsroom. I liked the first season. The second season was okay. The third season was an absolute train wreck, and that's why it got canceled. Um, but no, it did have some promise. I mean, it's Aaron Sorkin. If you like Aaron Sorkin, you're going to like the newsroom. If I like Aaron Sorkin? Um, probably. If, if I like Aaron Sorkin. But you didn't like the newsroom. I didn't like the newsroom? I'm asking you. You're asking me. <laughs> oh, I get what you're doing. I'm trying to have Aaron Sorkin d dialogue with you. Let's talk <laughs> about the, let's talk about the, the newsroom. Uh, let's continue this conversation as though Aaron Sorkin wrote our dialogue as we talk about it. So 53% of people would understand that the newsroom went three seasons. 53%. Three 53%. seasons. 53%. They would understand that. They would understand that. I don't know. if. Why would I understand that? Well, you would understand it because you would understand it. Go on. <laughs> Somewhere tonight in the middle of America, there's a person <laughs> sitting. They're watching their television and the newsroom comes on and they understand that the third season was terrible. <laughs> Stop talking to me like I'm a woman in one of Aaron Sorkin's episodes of the newsroom, Dave. <laughs> That's my comment on them. Like the, the problem with the newsroom is that anybody who's worked in the media thought that that was such sanctimonious garbage. And the <laughs> fact that he put – so the producer of a national cable news program, I guarantee – I'm telling you this. This is one thing. I've never been in a major American newsroom, but I can guarantee to you, Dave Ware, and every single one of the beleaguered talkies that's listening to this, that the producer of a nationwide news program is going to be a very fucking smart person, be they male or female. All right? In like the second episode of that show, Mackenzie, Mac, the producer character, who's like the right-hand woman to uh, Will McAvoy. Can't figure out how to send a fucking email on her BlackBerry and then sends an embarrassing email to the entire company. And this is a woman who just came back from producing in Afghanistan. So like I'm right. to believe that yes. they're going to send an, a moron who can't work a cell phone into a war zone. 
<laughs> like that. I don't, I thought that that showed such disdain. Like, you know, when people, when women complain about like how women are portrayed in films, I have no idea why that isn't like the, 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 the Donald Trump effigy of the argument. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. So there. Um, how do you feel about sports night? Uh, see, okay. So these are two oh, shows. This is also an Aaron Sorkin show. It's also based on news, although sports news. Yeah. And then West Wing. So we'll, we'll put all three of these shows in, in, in yeah. this together because I think that what they are are sanctimonious idealizations of what Aaron Sorkin wishes these institutions were like. When sure. an actual, which essentially says to me that, um, the, the reality of what these institutions are like isn't exciting enough to make, uh, compelling drama, dramedies. So, no, I mean, I, I, I wanted to like, Sports night, I just it didn't do it for me, and it was supposed supposedly about the life and times of Keith Oberman. Did you know that? I did not. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, see, that's a show I could have used another season or so of because things were just starting to get interesting when they pulled the plug on that. Uh, Trevor says uh, tie between also the newsroom. Apparently, Trevor wanted more newsroom and Battlestar Galactica two thousand four. Uh, love you like a brother, Trevor. Actually, I've never met Trevor. I don't know. <laughs> um, could not disagree more. <laughs> I uh, loved Battlestar Galactica up until, and if you're a fan, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about, up until the point where they reached New Caprica. Yeah. Was that? So is, sorry. Is it like second season, I think. And they just ran out of story ideas or? Oh, no, no. They, they got, they made this planet. They changed everything up. And then they did this really interesting storyline where they were on a planet and they got this new planet. And then they left the planet. They found another ship another Galactica type ship. They got rid of that. And then everything was just terrible from that point on. (laughs) Nothing ever got better than that point. And it just slowly got more and more disappointing until they finally put it out of its misery. That's my opinion. Julie gets the last suggestion on this one. She said that breaking bad ended way too soon. And I think that there's a lot of people who feel that way. I think breaking bad might be like one of the best examples of going out when you're on top. Yes. Yep. I would agree with that. Uh, she said it ended way too soon. Law and order <laughs> in all its different incarnations went uh, on way too long. Is it still going on? Yes, I've it is. I never watched any of those shows. Oh, I'll no? be straight up honest. I was never a CSI guy. I never watched Law and Order. I got into Law and Order a little bit. Um, Homicide Life on the Street is still my favorite in that genre. And Julie, you dirty girl, you... Go to nationaltalkyleague.com, Julie. Got a picture of some sous vide hamburgers up there for you so you can see how fantastic they look. Roger, would you be at all concerned or interested if I told you that I made some braised short ribs with my sous vide this week? I, uh, you made some braised short ribs. I wouldn't be concerned at all. Uh, I would want to know how long you braised. Uh, sorry. Technically not braised. Yeah, I was going to say, wait, what? You caught me up here. You sous vide short ribs. Yes. And then how did you finish them? Uh, well, what I did was I put some onion soup mix in with them in Ooh. the sous vide bag. Wow. Which then, when the juices started running out of those ribs, formed an onion blood soup. <laughs> <laughs> Made exclusively of onion blood. <laughs> and then it cooked in that for 48 hours in my sous vide. Wow. Then what? Yes. Then I took them out. I heated up a pan really, really hot. 
and I slapped him on there for a couple of minutes. Wow. And then I ate him. How good was that? It was really good. Uh, 13 bucks it cost me for, a, you know, enough for probably three servings mm-hmm. or three people, one serving each. Um, and reminded me a lot of prime rib. Uh, I got yeah. the prime rib taste for 13 bucks. It's in the same neighborhood. All rib cuts. Fantastic. National Talkie League. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. See, even Johannes really likes that. Um, that's uh, that's going to bring us to the end of this edition of the National Talkie League. I mentioned it earlier on, but uh, I want to point you to the overtime uh, episode that's coming out later this week. So watch your feed for it. A uh, really interesting conversation with Trey Kay, who hosts the Us and Them podcast. Um, which we'll link to in in the show notes uh, for that particular episode. But while worth listening to, particularly the conversation uh, is is really interesting given the context of what is going on uh, as we observe it in the United States, but as he lives amongst it in the United States. Before we wrap things up tonight, we uh, we should talk about last episode's play of the game. This is a new bit we're uh, trying out here where we talk about the most interesting parts of the previous podcast and the talkies let us know which one they think uh, is the top. So we uh, had only a couple comments on this one. Uh, Charles said uh, the tax code explanation should be taught in high schools along with some financial literary curriculum. It's a great point, Charles. Charles has us uh, going on an interesting project right now, which we will reveal more about when we have completed it. All you need to know is that Charles gave us money, which makes us professional podcasters now. (laughs) (laughs) Woohoo! Uh, and Eric, who, uh, as far as I could tell from his Twitter has been, uh, off in Toronto this week, watching some baseball, Mm -hmm. uh, which would excite Roger a lot. Uh, and he says, uh, I definitely think Roger should be immediately put in charge of driving tests. We have way too disproportionate a ratio of drivers from Calgary on Canada's worst drivers referring of course to Roger's, uh, uh, excellent, uh, driver's course that uh, he feels should be mandatory in the city of Calgary. If you don't know what we're talking about, go back out and check out episode 26 available on your favorite podcast app or in the iTunes store. Thank you so much for, uh, for listening to this episode and for listening to uh, previous episodes as well. And for interacting with us on the Facebook page, you can get a lot more uh, interactive with us at facebook.com slash national talkie league, or you can go ahead and visit our website at national Please do us a solid. Uh, if you like what we're doing, give us a, a five-star rating on your favorite podcast store or uh, player and go ahead and leave us a review to let people know why you like the national National Talkie League podcast. We've got some big things in store, um, you know, coming down the pike. Down the pike, Dave. A lot of people have things coming down the pipe, but we correctly have things coming down the pike. And we really appreciate your support. Word of mouth is the absolute best thing that you can do for us. And we thank you profusely for it. So until next time, thank you very much for listening. Have a great way. You've been listening to the National Talking League. Show notes from this episode can be found at nationaltalkingleague.com. Support for this podcast comes from you. Please share it on social media. Give a five-star review in your favorite podcast store. And connect with us on Facebook. On behalf of Roger Kincaid and Dave Ware, thank you.